0: This Magic the Gathering podcast and many more can be heard online at com slash podcasts. Leave a comment and tell us what you think. Let's go. Michael
1: J. So, if there was one theory, one concept in Magic: The Gathering that you'd say is like the most important one for any player who wants to go from just random cardboard slinger, um, you know, learning after school or whatever at the local shop to being able, you know, semi competent in a tournament, what would you say that one concept would be? Uh, like card advantage. I would agree. Card advantage is pretty important. Have you ever heard of something called virtual card advantage? I've heard the phrase, but what does that exactly mean, virtual we're, card advantage? We're going to find out today. Oh, let's find out. So There's an article called Virtual Card Advantage. It's from 2014, written by me. It's actually kind of a rewrite, though. So Eric Taylor, uh, I don't know if you know who he is. He was uh, Patrick Chapin's mentor, actually, mm-hmm. um, uh, back in in ancient days and was at one point considered the best of the Magic Strategy Writers. Um, he won the Dojo Writer of the Year in 1998, um, so I was I was very jealous of him. Uh, Eric Taylor wrote an article called, I think, uh, Virtual Cards in Urza's Block, a Subcategory of Card Advantage Theory, uh, back in, I want to say, 1999. And so this article that I wrote in 2014 uh, is kind of a, a rewrite-slash-update of Eric's article, kind of, you know, new, new card examples, uh, and then just geared to a newer audience. I was writing at the time a Mothership series called Level 1, mm-hmm. which was about, you know, kind of all the building blocks of magic theory. So mm-hmm. this, this one's called Virtual Card Advantage. So w- where did you hear about Virtual Card Advantage? Do you recall?
0: No. I mean, no, I, I just don't know. Like, what, what's, like, I don't know what the main difference is between... That and, like, regular card advantage.
1: I guess you'll find out. Okay. All right, virtual card advantage. As you might have ascertained from previous installments of Level 1, card advantage, in general, is the backbone of magic strategy. Although card advantage is not the be-all and end-all of how you should play any game of magic, its persistent position at the top of the theoretical pyramid was earned and is earned year after year, day after day, by its useful applicability to in-game situations. One of the ways a beginning player can aspire to operate more like a pro is to identify situations in-game where he or she can angle for a card advantage opportunity. Some of those opportunities are blatantly obvious,
0: as in the case of a two-for-one, others are more nuanced. Divination is an unambiguous two-for-one and a clear route to card advantage. Nessine asks, card advantage is driven by context. Here in virtual card
1: advantage, we will examine some not obvious routes to card advantage, largely based on player behavior. Surely you will have seen situations like these already, so
0: hopefully you will be able to use them, or use them more mindfully in your own games. Scenario one. Lewis has four Elvish Mystics in hand. One, two, three, four, he plays them all. Patrick plays an Izzet Staticaster. And that is that for the Elvish Mystics.
1: Nothing special to see here. Just card advantage.
0: Scenario two. Lewis has four Elvish Mystics in hand. As he develops, he plays out one, then the next one, still with two in hand. At the end of Lewis's turn, Patrick plays an Izzet Staticaster. He guns down the hapless Elvish Mystics on the battlefield. Lewis looks forlornly at his remaining two Elvish Mystics, and never plays them the rest of the game. In this scenario, Patrick's Is Staticaster got some very real, shall we say,
1: regular card advantage. Patrick's Is It gunned down two Elvish Mystics on the first pass. We might be tempted to call that a two for one. But that would imply a card was used. Instead, it is more like a two for none. Mm. In this scenario, Patrick's Isaac Staticaster also got what what we call virtual card advantage. Lewis didn't play his next two Elvish Mystics. They would have just been killed, but I think you will notice that those Elvish Mystics are more or less neutralized anyway. They aren't attacking or blocking or tapping for mana. They are technically still cards Lewis has access to. They're his cards in hand, but they have almost no utility in this game for fear of the Izzet Staticaster.
0: Scenario three. Lewis has gone a slow draw. Slog, slog, slog. For his part, Patrick has still drawn his is it staticaster by turn three? For the sake of saving some mana, he plays it. Now Lewis starts drawing his elvish mystics. Mystic, Mystic, Mystic. And Mystic. Lewis completes the whole frustrating game with four Elvish Mystics in his hand. In this variation, there is no legitimate card advantage.
1: Here, the Is It Staticaster simply prevents any of the Mystics being played
0: or offering any utility. Scenario 4. Stop me, won't you, if you've heard this one before? Lewis, again with the slow poke draw, doesn't draw any of his accelerators until after Patrick has already played his Is Izzet Staticaster. You know how this is going to work. Or do you? Lewis is slowed down. As he was in the first couple of scenarios then he rips a lightning strike takes out the offending is its data and goes about his business which includes playing elvish mystics here we see the ephemeral
1: nature of virtual card advantage showcased because the card advantage of the previous two scenarios lewis holding back his elvish mystics was entirely based on lewis's choice to keep them in hand and was not actually an exchange in resources, he never lost them. Had he actually lost them, as he did in Scenario 1, and as he lost at least a couple in Scenario 2, he would not have been able to follow up on the lightning strike so easily. You'll probably note that the key difference between Scenario 3 and Scenario 4 is that, in the former, because Patrick is never said to lose the is it Staticaster. Lewis never loses his elvish mystics, but he also never uses them. There isn't a real exchange, but there might as well have been. In Scenario 4, he actually gets to use them, gets them all back.
0: They were never technically gone. Scenario 5. Lewis has three cavalry pegasus. Pegasuses? Pegasi? I don't don't know. Patrick has that (laughs) aforementioned Nessie Nasp. Move on, carry on, nothing to see here, everybody stays home. A single creature holding off an army
1: might actually be the most common incarnation of virtual card advantage, especially in limited play. Here we see a situation akin to when Lewis held back his Elvish Mystics for fear of Patrick's it Staticaster, but with different zones. If Lewis attacks with a single cavalry Pegasus, we know what will probably happen. Patrick will block, and his big creature will eat Lewis's little creature in an active practical card advantage, 1 for 0. If he attacks with 2 or more, Lewis will get in a point or 2 of Cavalry Pegasus combat damage, but again lose one of those small white flyers, 0 for 1. Here it is preferable, presumably, for Lewis to give up a virtual 3 in lieu of a real 1 card. This might not be true where Patrick at three life, where Lewis would expect to put him to one on the attack with the expectation of getting in the last point on the next attack, again losing a Pegasus. The three-card standoff is common until there is a breaker. If Lewis draws removal for the Nessian Asp, it will be like he has a mini-Ancestral Recall, turning his three little guys back on.
0: Bonus scenario six, dead cards. Naya, red, green, white. Mage Lewis has a full grip of seven cards. Yay for Lewis. Unfortunately, they are a combination of different disenchant variations. Two copies of Deicide, two copies of Wear and Tear, two copies of Sundering Growth, and an Unravel the Aether for good measure. For his part, Patrick has been trucking with a lone fleece mane Lion for several turns. Most of the previous examples we've had for virtual card advantage have had to do
1: with an in-game player behavior, but some mages like to group dead card advantage under the virtual card advantage umbrella, and I do think it is worth mentioning here. Dead cards might be the constructed opposite number to one creature holding off an army for constructed deck. Basically, when you have cards in your deck that don't do anything in a matchup, it doesn't matter if and when you've drawn them. Like poor 7-card-grip Lewis in this scenario, you can have a hand full, but no action. Running main deck disenchant variants when the opponent has no artifacts or enchantments is fairly common. But a contender for first place is having main deck creature removal versus a creatureless or at least creature poor deck. From our example here, the minute Patrick plays a Courser of crucifix, which is an enchantment in addition to a 2-4 creature, Lewis's hand goes live, and he suddenly has some decisions to make. At the very least, he will no longer have seven stranded cards, and should he choose, will be able to go with the one-for-one of his choice. When one player has four copies of Supreme Verdict, and probably other removal or sweep spells, and the opponent's only creature in the deck is a lone Aetherling, those Supreme Verdicts are probably all dead draws. Unlike an Azorius Charm. It is debatable that you can even get a meaningful I force you into making your 8th line disappear moment out of all slow removal.
0: Bonus scenario 7, token generation. In 2014, many players will count token generation as real cards, even though they aren't actually on cardboard, unless you count token cards. But when Eric Taylor first wrote about virtual cards, he listed token generation as one of his examples. So we are tipping our hats to Eric here. Perhaps. I'll take a bite. Uh, Consider a card like Faded Intervention. How do you think about Faded Intervention straight
1: up? I think of it as a two-for-one. You use one actual piece of cardboard, the Faded Intervention, and you get two 3-3 creatures. A 3-3 creature can be a real thing that someone wants to play, and the fact that these are token creatures, virtual cards instead of real cardboard ones, Generally matters only when the opponent has something along the lines of a voyage's end. Bounce spells. Kill tokens dead. This gets even more interesting, or at least complicated from a counting perspective, when someone attacks into a mage with 2-G-G-G
0: open. Like? Lewis attacks with a Soldier of the Pantheon. Patrick plays Faded Intervention mid-combat and blocks Soldier of the Pantheon. Splat. Here, Patrick plays his Faded Intervention. A real card goes to the graveyard,
1: gets two centaurs, I'd call that a two for one, and turns a soldier of the pantheon into plaza pizza.
0: Or Lewis attacks with two witch stalkers, Patrick plays fate intervention mid combat and blocks both witch stalkers. Witch stalkers are tricky to kill with spells, but here Patrick is able to use a
1: single spell to trade with two of them. Good job, Patrick. This is a much more straightforward. One Faded Intervention for Two Witchstalkers Scenario.
0: Or is it? Actually, one Faded Intervention makes two virtual centaurs. Centaur A, virtual card, trades with Witchstalker A. Centaur B, virtual card, trades with Witchstalker B. Or, Lewis attacks with two Glade Cover Scouts. Patrick plays Faded Intervention mid-combat and blocks both Glade Cover Scouts. Splat, splat, gross. Here... Patrick
1: has lived the full-on dream. His virtual token-generating faded intervention starts off as a two-for-one, one piece of cardboard for two pieces of cardboard, and he gets to keep two 3-3 creatures. Can we call this a four-for-one? Love, Mike. That was a really short one. Uh, short, but do you think it was ineffective because of its brevity?
0: No, it's it's an important little magic lesson to build off kind of the... How to understand card advantage and get ahead in games, and know like what your cards are worth. I kind of
1: picked this one last minute on account of people were asking me on Facebook, "Hey, is there a an ancestral recall we can do on virtual card advantage?" The term was perhaps being abused in another context that happened to be going on this weekend. Oh, and I, no, I was I was not aware of it. <laughs> There were some threads on Facebook that were talking about this. Mm. So I said, hey, I wonder if this is the kind of thing that my young friend, Roman Fusco, would know the difference between. And it turns out the answer was no. Okay. So hopefully well, you, you got a little out of it as well. All
0: right. So one question I have for you. What's the situation where, you know, talking about this this uh, scenario, where someone misuses this phrase, like talking about vir- his virtual well, card so, advantage? Like how how can someone like misuse this phrase and, and get those two jumbled together? So – um. I like to borrow
1: something that um, David Latham says, or he wrote about. Uh, he's a multiple Eisner Award-winning comic book writer-artist, mm. and he says something along the lines of, whether a story has a happy ending or a sad ending only, only matters of where you put the words, the end, right? So mm. if uh, the hero has just gotten the girl, and you're just like, the end, that's the end of their story, right? You're like, oh, it had a happy ending, but if you peer like a few, you know, whatever time after that, and then maybe one of them gets sick or there's a revolution so something happens, maybe it's a sad story. And then you, you, you it's just where you put the, the end um, in, in terms of the story. If you're talking about virtual card advantage versus real card advantage, I think that a really easy example might be you have two grizzly bears of some sort, right? Okay. And I have a hell giant, right? I have a 3-3 three, three, and you have two, two, two. If a hill giant is just sitting there in the, um, on the battlefield and you have two grizzly bears, grizzly bears aren't doing anything. And they're never going to do anything so long as I have this hill giant, right? Until something changes. Happens all the time, right? So if the game ends in this with this situation going on, then we can say that my hill giant neutralize your two grizzly bears in much the same way that a Wrath of God would, right? So they it's like do a, it, is,
0: it is like a two for one. Yeah. Like you're neutralizing it's, your two cards with my one card.
1: Literally, as long as we put the the end at the proper place. However, let's say the story that we're talking about goes a little bit further and you draw a lightning strike. Yeah, lightning strike. You kill my like hill giant. All of a sudden, your grizzly bears are alive again, right? Yeah. You can't. Lightning strike or Wrath of God, okay? <laughs> like, like, if I Wrath of God, you're Hill Giants, right? I'm sorry, you're, you're Grizzly Bears. They go to the graveyard. You can't Lightning strike this and get them back, right? So the, one of the main differences between virtual card advantage and real card advantage is where you put at the, the end. If the game doesn't end in the situation, you have Daylight, right? So that's like the, the situation we're talking about, whether you play all four Elvish Mystics and they die to the static caster, or if you only play two and there's two in hand. They're practically dead as long as the static is there. But as soon as the static caster, you know, if he gets lightning striked, right, she, I don't know, whatever it is, then your Elvish Mystics go live again. Mm-hmm. Just where you put the, the end. So the things that are, I think, important to understand about this theory are it's way less permanent than real card advantage. Like real card advantage also isn't necessarily permanent people are playing with like some sort of commit to memories or, you know, guys, blessings, you can get your cards back, right? So it depends on the construction of a deck. It depends on the, the, the temperature of a format. But so, you know, real card advantage isn't, necessar- isn't necessarily, um, you know, permanent either, right? You can, you can have all the card advantage in the world. If you don't kill me in time, you're going to deck, right? I'll have cards left in my library. You will have overdrawn and you die. People die a surprising amount of the time and limited that way, right? You ever have these games where you have all the cantrips, but you can't get through, mm-hmm. like, and they have, like, a 3-3, three, three, and you have, like, just a bunch of two-two-two for one guys? You deck yourself?
0: Or, like, I've had games where I'll have, like, an invasive threat, and they can have as many cards as they want, right? And they can be trained off for my guys, but... Yeah, so... It, but that's because the the criteria
1: for winning a game of Magic isn't who got the most card advantage. It's just typically the case that the person who... Got the most card advantages and an advantage, but it's, you know, that's not how you win. You win by dealing twenty damage or, you know, whatever. Mm. Whatever your poison or whatever your your win condition is. So, um, however, while you're subject to this, like while the hill giant is still in place holding off the the grizzly bears, it's important to understand that this is your this is your you're kind of semi-rat situation because if you just truck in, your guys are going to die. because like, it, it depends also on life total, right? So if you attack with your two grizzly bears, I block one of them. Right? You're a grizzly bear. I take two. Now I'm going to start attacking you for three. You're just going to lose a race at that point. It's better for you perhaps to get two for one with the hill giant versus the grizzly bears than it is to be in a situation where the grizzly bears racing you uh, against the giant, All right? So, um, I don't know. I think that people think of real card. In, I think that it's not that important to get hung up on definitions. Mm -hmm. What's important is to understand the general concept of card advantage and two-for-ones in particular. Um, I think people usually talk about real card advantage in terms of cardboard advantage, right? So I'm trading one piece of cardboard for, you know, if I stupor you, right, I unburden you, that's one piece of cardboard. For two. Two pieces of cardboard typically, right? Uh, You know, a release of the gremlins is is way more card advantage than that often. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Often, not always, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it's. I think it's more important to understand the applicability of the theories. Virtual card advantage is an interesting subset, in my opinion, because it has very different implications in limited. And just one, I think the lesson of it is: the better you are at controlling tempo, right, like determining when a game will end, the more or less the value of virtual card advantage is. Mm. Right. So. If you, if you have the virtual card advantage going on and you're really good at closing out the game, then it will have effectively been real card advantage. But if you have the virtual card advantage going on and you're not good at closing the game, right, you're putting your opponent in a position where he can reverse the card advantage that you have, right? And so I think that this is it's, – it's a cool concept just to understand, but it's also instructive because it dovetails into things like winning in the correct number of turns. It's, it's fundamentally different from real card advantage in that way. For regular card advantage. Cool. Now I know. Yeah?
0: Well, knowing is half the battle. <laughs> knowing is half the battle. I have to apply it now.
1: <laughs> so um, you're playing in a PPTQ tomorrow? I am. Are you playing a, a Naya Burn deck in Modern?
0: If it was Modern, I'd be playing it. Once the Modern season rolls around, then I'm gonna, I'll have some So you're saying
1: guys. you're not playing a Naya Burn deck in a Modern tournament tomorrow? It's a standard tournament. Just sleep in, dude. We, we both know how this goes.
0: I gotta prove you wrong. Now, now I know about virtual Car Advantage. I mean, so the world's my oyster. What are you gonna play?
1: Mardu? Mardu vehicles? Gonna get some ballista. You would have, like, two ballistas, two angels? Yeah. I, I like- <laughs> really? Like, I can name your entire 75 off the top of my head? I mean, that's yeah, but, good luck with that, dude. Uh, okay. All right. How many Sorins do you have? I
0: have two in my side of work currently. That's what I would have figured. Do you, have,
1: like, do you have, like, one Nahiri? I think
0: I have two Nihari's. <laughs> You're lying. You have one You No, I have, what, I have two. I I'll I have one backpack.
1: All right, so we're going to play Standard after this. <sighs> are you going to be on the Mardu
0: side? What, what side? All right, I'll be on the Mardu side. you be on the Team Wraith that works Marvel side. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> All right, we'll see how it's.
1: Dealio. All right, me and Roman are uh, going to go actually play Magic the Gathering uh, uh, for, for, once. for <laughs> once. Instead of just talking about it. Uh, this was a short one. Hope you loved it. Yeah. Virtual card advantage. I'm Michael J. Roman Fusco. Uh if you like this podcast, which I assume you do because you're twenty-one minutes and forty-four seconds in and you're still <laughs> listening to me. Uh please subscribe. I think Carrie Dan and KYT, who are our uh our support system over at Mana Deprived, you know, they would they would also like that. I, I think that they probably yeah. put a, a subscription uh, opportunity on the website where please subscribe so you don't miss it. Uh and then separately, do do us a huge favor if you actually want to go on iTunes and like rate us and and say that you like the podcast i think that would be that'd be great super gas if you don't like the podcast you can just like tweet me and say michael j you're a jerk Uh, (laughs) it won't be the first time that day that someone will have told me that um roman doesn't actually read his twitter uh, no i can actually make a new twitter (laughs) so uh yeah so if you like it uh rate us give us like all all the stars in the sky uh tell everyone else you like it if you don't like it just rip on me on twitter i can take it i'm a big boy
0: Okay, this is the Incestive Recall Podcast. Sign off.